The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneewes, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. And first of all, let me apologize for not making an episode in a very long time. The beginning of the year was busier than I thought, and uh, I kept on falling into the trap of having ideas and then, you know, spending too much time preparing and then pushing it off and then not doing it. Uh, so <laughs> this is my attempt to uh, to at least make one episode before Sukkot. Uh, and I, I feel like I have to make this episode today because the next chapter we're due to read in Marcus Aurelius is very reminiscent of an aspect of the Avodas Yom Kippurim, the, the Yom Kippur service in the time of the Beis Mikdash, the temple, uh, which we just got through reading yesterday on Yom Kippurim. So this is on my mind, and I wanted to talk about it. Uh, fair warning, uh, this is not the most organized set of thoughts <laughs> that I've ever expressed here. Uh, I, uh, I'm scheduled to leave for the airport in three hours, and uh, I know that if I don't make this recording right now that I'm not going to do it uh, probably at all. So uh, so I, I'd rather give you something than nothing. Okay, so without further ado, um, Marcus Aurelius, Book 5, Chapter 7, A Prayer of the Athenian People. Rain, rain, dear God, rain on the cornfields and the plains of Athens. Prayer should be thus simple and open or not at all. Okay, so plain shot, right? Simple meaning is he's asking for a very simple thing, which is rain, and he's asking for it to be dispersed to, to rain for everybody in Athens, uh, not just for himself. Okay, and this makes a lot of sense in terms of what a Stoic would ask for, right? Um, a, uh, a Stoic is not going to ask for uh, things beyond his needs, and he's going to ask for the common good because what is good for the beehive is good for the bee, as Marcus Aurelius writes in uh, in Meditations, Book Six, Chapter Fifty Four. Uh, I should note, by the way, that this is not the only place where Marcus Aurelius discusses prayer. There is another chapter in Book Six, Chapter Forty Four, and that's a much more complicated idea of prayer, which I don't even want to touch right now. This is this is Marcus Aurelius's views on simple prayer. Okay, so. Um, so there's really not much here, right? I mean, you could ask the question about why a Stoic would pray at all, uh, but that's going to get into issues of what their view of providence is, and I don't even want to touch that, okay? Uh, that's And I don't really care about that either, to be honest, okay? But what does this remind us of? Uh, this reminds us of another short prayer for rain, which was said by the Kohen Gadol, uh, by the high priest, on the during the Avodos Yom Kippurim, during the Yom Kippur service in the time of the Beis Mikdash of the Temple, uh, and uh, I want to actually read the uh, the source of this. So the original source is in uh, the Tractate Yuma, um, the fifth chapter, the first Mishnah at the very end, uh, when the Kohen Gadol d- uh, leaves from the Kodesh Hakodashim, the, the Holy of Holies. Uh, the Mishnah says, He he prays a short prayer in the outer chamber. And he would not prolong his prayer so as to not uh, um, intimidate or, or cause fear to the Jewish people. Okay, so uh, unlike Marcus Aurelius, who says that all prayers should be short, uh, we also do have instances of short prayer, like the one we're about to read, or Moshe Rabbeinu's famous one, uh, where he, he prayed for Miriam, when he said, uh, Kel na rafan Allah, um, uh, uh, God, please God, uh, heal her now. Uh, but 
in general, we don't, and, and, and there's also an idea of, um, of limiting your words when speaking before God, but we don't make all of our prayers extremely short, right? We say what, uh, what is necessary for, uh, for the context and for the, uh, and to use prayer as a developmental tool. So we're not idealizing uh, brevity. And uh, and that's evident here, right? That the Mishnah openly says that the only reason the Kohen Gadol would say a short prayer is to not uh, scare the people. Okay, so let's let's read what that means. But I'm going to read this in the Rambam, in the Mishnah Torah, his code of law. Sefer Avodah, the book of divine service, Hilchos Avodah's Yom Kippurim, the laws of the service of Yom Kippur, uh, which is in chapter 4. We're going to read chapter 4, four Halacha 1. So the Ramam writes, uh, he would, he would, uh, the Kohen Gadol would pray there uh, in the, uh, the, uh, uh, I always forget how to translate, translate Heichal. It's talking about the, the outer structure uh, that houses the, the Holy of Holies in it. Um, uh, I just, I'm blanking on the English word. Uh, so uh, he would say, he would, uh, pray a short prayer there so as to not uh, scare the people. Shema Yomru, because maybe they'll say, Mesba Heichal, he died in the uh, in the Heichal, right? So the Ram, I'm going to supplement this with the Ramam's commentary from the Parish Hamishnayos, from the commentary on the Mishnah, which is cited on the side of my Ramam by uh, Rav Makbili. So he says, what was the fear? Why did they think he was going to die? So the Ramam writes, Many times the high priests would die in the Holy of Holies, Either if they were not worthy to do the service, or if they changed any, they deviated in any way from the uh, the incense uh, uh, offering. Okay, so what would what would the prayer be? This is what he would uh, uh, pray. May be uh, uh, your will, Hashem our God. That if this year was going to be hot, then it should be rainy. Okay, uh, we'll explain each one in a second. Velo yasur shevet mibesihuda, and the scepter uh, of of royalty should not should not depart from the house of Judah. Velo yihiu amcha beisishal tzrichin lefarnasa, and the members of your people of uh, the the your people, the house of Israel, should not need livelihood. And the prayers of travelers should not come before you. Okay, so four things, okay, is the way that the year should be, uh, that the uh, monarchy should not depart from from the house of Judah, that the Jewish people should not need livelihood from one another, and uh, and that the the prayer of travelers should not come before God. Okay, so what do all these things mean? So Ramam explains. So the word shchuna is Chama, okay, is uh, hot or sunny, I guess. Uh, so if the year was going to be like that, then instead it should be Geshuma. So Geshuma, I translate it as rainy, but really that's not how the Ramam learns it. He's, Ramam says, God should make the air of this year temperate. Vizo tova klalis la'adam ulubehema. This is very good for people and for animals. Because when the uh, the air or the climate or the weather is uh, is moderate, is temperate, then uh, the people who are sick become healthier and people who are healthy remain healthy. Okay, so he's basically asking for a healthy, healthy weather, weather that's healthy for men and for animals. Okay, next thing is uh, that the scepter should not depart from the house of Judah. Um 
uh, so the Rambam explains this is talking about the house of David, right? Uh, the Davidic monarchy. Um, and he says, Shemispalo Bahasmadas Shilton Hatzedek Vahemes, Vizehu Tachlis Akol, that he should uh, pray for the perpetual uh, rulership that governs by righteousness and truth, because that's the purpose of everything. Okay. Uh, then he says that uh, the members of Israel shouldn't need livelihood. So it doesn't mean that they don't need livelihood. He says they shouldn't need livelihood from each other. Each person should make his own livelihood. In other words, people should not be dependent on charity. Uh, the Rambam says, After these two general matters, meaning, I guess, the um, uh, the the climate and the monarchy, uh, you know the the environmental order and the political order uh, that they should be suited for for physical health and for a society of righteousness and truth. He, he prays for particular matters for individuals. That each person should succeed in serving uh, God. And that his dealings and his uh, business should be successful. So that people should not need to ask from one another. Now you notice what the Raman did here. In the actual tefillah, it just says that he prays that people shouldn't be in need of livelihood from one another. But the Raman divides that into two things. He says that a person should succeed in his service of God and in his business. Because the Raman is acknowledging that really, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the, the I guess the, the cause of merit for succeeding in your business, really it should come from the fact that you are serving Hashem and that should be the end of your business as well. That should be the reason why you're making money and not just so you can like spend it on, uh, on, on worldly pleasures. Okay. And then the last step is that the, the prayer of travelers should not come before God. And the Ramam explains that the, the travelers only pray for the, uh, for there to be uh, uh, sunlight and for the removal of rain. So the problem is that if the prayers of these travelers were answered, then it would deprive the world of rain. You know, it's very convenient for you if you're traveling to not want it to rain. But if it doesn't rain, then it does, then the crops don't grow and then everyone ends up starving. Okay, so I, I'm not saying that these two ideas of prayer are the same at all. Okay, however, you know, because we want to shorten the tefillah, of the Kohen Gadol to not scare the people, then we do have to be very choosy about what we say. And uh, and so you see that these are four important things. In other words, that there's a certain physical condition that things need to be in for a baseline of health across the board for all human beings and all animals. Uh, secondly, is we want there to be a just um, uh, government, right? And that this is really what we were inserting in the, the prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom HaKippurim, where we expand the third bracha, the third blessing, and describe this ideal society that is focused uh, on serving God and on harmony between people and focusing on knowledge of God and God's oneness uh, and, um, you know, and, and uh, promoting those ideas in, hu in humankind. So that really is represented by, by saying that we want the Davidic monarchy uh, restored. And then we go to the individual level of people getting their needs and being able to serve God and get everything that they uh, that they require to con to continue serving God without being dependent on tzedakah. And then the last step, which is the, to me that's the most interesting one, is is saying that that people's prayers 
should not jeopardize the public good. Okay, and in that sense, that's the really the, the tie in with Marcus Aurelius's thing is it's asking for something very simple, which is enough rain and in a way that benefits the, the collective, not that is uh, uh, serving only the individual. Okay, now I had another thought and I wanted to do a separate episode on this. But again, I, I, I in the interest of time, uh, I want to make sure I actually get this down. So I read I actually incorporated this into my sheer on Arab Rosh Hashanah, um, this paragraph in Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance, okay, when he's talking about prayer. And um, and I think this is very, very relevant. Uh, this is not something that is in line with the entirety of Jewish prayer, but I think it's a very, very important idea that uh, our prayers uh, uh, embody. Okay, so I'm going to read the entire paragraph, but there's really one line that I want, which I'll call attention to. He says, in what prayers do men allow themselves? That which they call a holy office is not so much as brave and manly, Prayer looks abroad and asks for some foreign addition to come through some foreign virtue and loses itself in endless mazes of natural and supernatural and mediatorial and miraculous. Prayer that craves a particular commodity, anything less than all good, is vicious. Now here's the line. Prayer is the contemplation of the facts of life from the highest point of view. It is the soliloquy of a beholding and jubilant soul. It is the spirit of God pronouncing his works good. But prayer as a means to effect a private end is meanness and theft. It supposes dualism and not unity in nature and consciousness. As soon as the man is at one with God, he will not beg. He will then see prayer in all action. Okay, so the line I want to focus on is prayer is the contemplation of the facts of life from the highest point of view. And I, I think I've talked about this on the Stoic Jew podcast before, but what is the Jewish idea of prayer? I'll just do the quick recap here. Is you know The English word pray stems from the root which means to uh, ask uh, earnestly. Um, but the Jewish word for prayer, the Hebrew word for prayer is lehis palel, from the root pelam lamen, which means to judge. And lehit palel is reflexive, which means to judge oneself. And the phrase we use for praying to God is lehit palel lashem, which literally means to judge yourself to God or to evaluate yourself to God, which I understand to mean that you judge yourself in the framework of God's uh, of, of, of God's value system, of the objective reality of, of, of his will and his wisdom. So so that's really what we're doing when we praise God, uh, whether in the first three blessings of the Shemona Esrei, you know, of the Amidah, the central prayer, or in any other area, what we're doing is we're trying to, so to speak, look at our own lives from from God's point of view and to see where we fit in in the creation and to see ourselves as components of the creation. So that really is, you know, uh, this is true of every prayer, but this was especially true of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, where we look at uh, ourselves through the lens of of Machios, Zichronos, and Shofros, of God's kingship and God's remembrances of us and, uh, and, and the, you know, all the ideas in Shofros about living a life in the, uh, in the divine presence. Um, but this is true in all of our uh, in in our daily prayers as well, where we look at what is man, what what where do we stand vis-a-vis -vis God? You know, who, who is God? What is his relationship with us? And then wh where do uh, what are our needs, and who can we get these needs from? And we realize, you know, that we can only turn to God for our needs, and uh, and by reflecting on that, then we you know it, it sets our priorities straight. It's a reality check. And I think that's what um, that's what Emerson is emphasizing in that second part when he says that uh, in the, at the end that as soon as man is at one with God he will not beg he will then see prayer in all action and that any uh, prayer that is not for the uh, for 
anything less than all good, if it's selfish, then it's uh, vicious. So what does that mean? So uh, let, let's take uh, Yom, Yom HaKippurim as our, our model here. So we spent a great deal of the day going over the uh, thir- the uh, what's called the Yud Gimel Midos called the 13 attributes of mercy. Obviously, God doesn't have attributes. These are describing God's actions. And we're asking God, for example, to be merciful to us and to... Um, uh, to be slow to anger and to ha- be abundant in kindness, um, but really, what what are we doing? We're recognizing that this is how God relates to all—not just all of humanity, but all of the creation. You know, um, and that there is, you know, the the universe is tov ma'od, and that God extends that good to all of His creatures. Now, it's true that man is in need of uh, of specific types of good because we are we have free will and we sin, and that's why we need forgiveness and uh, we need you know more uh, mercy than uh, than the other creations. But what we're doing is we are reminding ourselves of the divine perspective that God really relates to all of his creatures with, with mercy, right? God is good to all and his mercies are on all of his works. And what we're doing when we ask God for mercy for us is we're really acknowledging the good of God's mercy and asking that it be extended to everyone and that we should, uh, uh, should emulate it and be vehicles of that mercy in the world as well. So if you are just asking God for mercy for you and your particular circumstances, that's not how divine mercy works. God's mercy is not targeted to individuals to the exclusion of all the other creations. So if that's the way that you're asking for mercy, then you're not going to get it because that is not how, that's not what God's will is. God's will is that mercy be done to everyone. So the only way that your prayer will be effective is if you recognize how God bestows mercy and you align your own values with that and ask for that common good mercy for everybody and then enact it in your life, you know? So, um, again, I know this is a, a smattering of many ideas, uh, each of which could be its own episode, and I'm not organizing them in the in the clearest way. But again, I just wanted to get these ideas out, and hopefully you get value from them uh, by listening to this, uh, especially if you've listened to a lot of my other uh, Shiram or read my other um, uh, writings uh, of, uh, as of late or over the years. All right, that's it. <laughs> um, I, uh, I will... Uh, try to see if I can make another episode before Sukkot, but I really got to get back into this habit uh, and uh, Sukkot is going to interrupt that. So, um, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, that's it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at, is at matt-schneeweiss and my Zelle and PayPal are matt-schneeweiss.gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewis at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading, and thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone. And if you are listening to this uh, when I record it, then Chag Sameach.